UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Welcome to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. My name is Phil Callahan, and I'm here with J.T. Rogan, Director of Communications and Operations for the Michigan Football Program. You're Jim Harbaugh's right-hand man. J.T., I wanted to talk to you. You have a unique arc um, among the people who are in Jim's sphere. Um, could you talk about how you were first, how you first became to know Jim? I think the first time, you know, I, I was a rabid football fan, so knowing of him, you know, growing up in the early '90s, uh, you know, first as a quarterback with the Bears, and then, and then with the Colts, and uh, and I remember that AFC Championship game where uh, his receiver dropped the touchdown pass that would have sent them to the Super Bowl. I remember kind of being devastated by that, you know, just so close and. Uh, and didn't really know much of him other than the fact that, uh, you know, when he ended up living in Coronado, California, at the same time I did, um, and, uh, and people had mentioned him and, and being around in 2000, uh, 2001, 2002. Uh, I think he lived there when he played for the Chargers. And then um, in 2004, I graduated high school and uh, and was being recruited by the the coach at University of San Diego prior to Coach Harbaugh. But then also, um, you know, Coach Harbaugh and his staff uh, continued to recruit me, uh, not intensely, but uh, but they recruited me just the same. And uh, and then that's really where our our relationship took off. So your first remembrance of Coach Harbaugh was when he was actually a pro quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, interesting, because you know, being here in Ann Arbor, a lot of us remember uh, actually, you know, his high school career, and but he really became prominent, you know, of course, as the quarterback of Michigan. Well, he was drafted when I was born, so I, I, I don't know that it was even possible for me to authentically remember his college playing oh, days. Gosh, JT, you make me feel so ah, old. <laughs> I'm sorry, Phil. I'm sorry. Um, so you came on as a walk-on. I did. And um, you did very well. You, you had a great career at San Diego State. You obviously made a huge impression on Coach Harbaugh. What do you think led to him taking you to Stanford and actually bringing, starting you on the coaching profession? Well, uh, you know, our relationship at University of San Diego just grew and built and developed over the course of the time that he was there. So I redshirted my first year. And then the next two years, I ran for about a thousand yards each season, and our teams kept getting better, and I kept evolving as a player, and our relationship is really forged in in appreciation and respect for each other, and him helping me to become a better player, and then through me as part of a team, you know, allowing him to to raise his his stock as a coach, and then you know, obviously go to Stanford. And um, and I think that he he respects all of his players, the guys that play hard and that and that put in the time and the effort, and and especially those that overcome the odds. I think he um, he really appreciates guys of, of good moral fiber and character. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that I'm that, but in, in looking at the the Michigan players, I mean he he really has great admiration for Nate Shanley, you know, guys like that. He really respects what what they do and. Um, and guys that get the most out of their talents and are well-rounded. And so um, at Stanford, he, uh, he had a lot of those types of people on his team. He had a lot of those types of people on his staff. And I was fortunate enough to be included uh, on his staff in 2010 when we ended up winning the Orange Bowl, and that ended up being his final year at Stanford. 
So Coach Harbaugh says that it's an open competition every day for every position. Um, in your experience as a walk-on, is that the same as when he was at San Diego State? Is, is that something that's been universal? And how did you observe that as, as a player who was kind of coming in at, at the edge of the program? Phil, I'm going to make a key distinction between University of San Diego and San Diego State. So, so I'm sorry. That's okay. No, no problem at all. Um, you know, when I was at San Diego, he would bring in as many different running backs as he possibly could. I mean, they, while I was there, I brought him in from Hawaii, from Boise State, from other high schools, like powerhouse high schools. Like I went to Coronado High School, very small school. Um, and would continually bring in more, better, different players with different skill sets to, to try and make the team better. And I never took it as an attack on me or an indictment on what I was doing. I just I rose to the challenge of the competition, and that is very much the same situation that takes place on our football team here at Michigan. Uh, there's an obligation for you to continue to strive to achieve your personal best. And, and some people... You know, they flatline at some point, or some people don't have the same type of growth and development. Um, you know, if you look along the offensive line, Mike and Wayne, you started some games this season, and then eventually Caesar Ruiz became the right guard. And, uh, and that's not to say that one is necessarily better than the other, but maybe it was that Caesar's full health was better than, than Michael's 90%, or, or maybe Caesar was, was learning at a different rate than, than Mike was, and, and this offseason will be another opportunity for both of them to, to try and get on the field. But, I mean, there very much is competition every single day at every single position. Now, you know, guys like Mason Cole have been competing and winning their position year after year, game after game. Uh, you know, they were a little bit different, obviously, but uh, competition is just the name of the game inside of the program. So you've been with Harbaugh at a lot of different levels over different time. What changes have you noticed? He's, uh, you know, each year that goes by, he's able to continually refine the process and, and who he has and what he's done. I mean, his first year was just unabated enthusiasm, energy, apply as much as you can to as many different situations and scenarios. And um, and it took some reining in from those early administrators and some of those assistant coaches to try and figure out, okay, what what's too much, what's not enough, what are we allowed to do, what are we not allowed to do. And each stop has been different, so each stop presents its own challenges for from University of San Diego to Stanford to the 49ers to here. So it's very much been an evolution, and um, and I think he would tell you that he continues to learn and to grow and to develop, and um, and he's always seeking the counsel of, of people who smarter than himself, and he's not ashamed to admit that at all. So when you talk about you know what what changes have there been, um, I think it's really been just you know his tactics have been reinforced and he believes that what he's done is right or he's found that there's a new better different way to do things so when you talk about you know what what is the growth and development for him look like and the change i think really it's just in his constant better today than yesterday better tomorrow than today and and trying to find the best possible way to motivate players to to get the most out of them on the field in the classroom and in the weight room and i think that you know, for the most part, you're seeing those gains. Um, you know, I know the record went in reverse a little bit this year, 
Um, if we played 45-minute games instead of 60-minute games, you know, who knows? It, it could have been a little different. But there, you know, the the gains uh, overwhelmingly, you know, continue to be there, and uh, and it's uh, it's something that I've I've enjoyed, you know, watching and following since I first met him in 2004. Well, you know, there's a ton of excitement. And while the final record wasn't exactly what everybody would have wanted, I think everybody knows that nobody is more disappointed than the team or the, or the, or the coach or Coach Harbaugh himself. Um, one of the questions I have is, so you guys spend a lot of time in recruiting, um, talking to coaches, um, getting to know guys. How has the process changed when you have, like, a transfer? But how do you how do you get to know guys? How do you vet them? Because you have a much smaller window. You know, sometimes you recruit guys for several years. Yeah. And for example, like when you have a quarterback come in or somebody who has a graduate eligibility, yeah. you need to make a quick decision. So how do you go through and vet them, or, or what's that process look like? Well, there are a lot of different types of transfers, right? So that your classic transfer is your fifth year. You know, graduate transfer. And in some cases, people graduate in three years, and it's a fourth year graduate transfer. And you know, when people are leaving their situation, you've got to examine: okay, what's the situation? Did the head coach leave? Was the player, you know, uh, blackballed, or was he not good enough to play? And so, transfers a lot of times are unknown commodities. Uh, you're you're very lucky if you get a known a known quantity. Uh, in something like Shea Patterson, where you know you've, you've got film, you've got uh, high ceiling, a lot of ability that way. So you know we we look at transfers differently, but it, it's uh, I mean things get hot and heavy, quick, fast, and in a hurry. You've got to you've got to talk to as many different people who are familiar with the program and the player and the coaching staff, and you try and get as much information as soon as you can to try and make a well-informed decision because. You know, if you're tracking down transfers, you know, some schools use that model. They try and track down junior college transfers, and they're willing to just have two years of eligibility in exchange for a little bit more development. You know, there, there's a lot of um, unknowns in the process, right? I mean, think about it. When you look, when you try and recruit a high schooler, you get transcripts every semester. You get a chance to see them play multiple sports. You can uh, vet their character through, you know, word of mouth or people in the community or other high school coaches, um, and once a player gets to college, you know, not only do they change, but a lot of those resources that were available, you know, some of those other high school coaches have left or, uh, you know, their memory, you know, might, might have faded and it's not as uh, topical for them. So, um, you know, with transfers, it's just a, it's an entirely different ball game. And, and um, you know, we don't, we're not in the business too often with, uh, with transfers, but it certainly is a, a different, unique thing. And, and we, uh, you know, we've been going through it you know, this recruiting cycle for sure. You mentioned that Coach Harbaugh is open to consulting with people who, who he thinks knows more than him. There aren't a lot of people like that, and um, I'm sure he consults with his dad. Um, can you tell me, not the names, but, like, the type of people he might talk to? Like, who's who who's in his network if he has a question or if he, he wants to chew on something? What does his network look like? Well, it's... Uh, he would probably beg to differ that there are people that know a lot more than he does. And, and so he sources his information from all different places. Um, you know, high school, really winning high school coaches. He likes to hear, you know, what's made them successful for decades. Uh, leaders of business, you know, uh, he's, he's fascinated by that. You know, people that are really at the top of any industry uh, really pique his interest. 
and uh, and I've seen him get in the weeds with with a number of different people who you're like, well, you wouldn't necessarily think that that would be somebody he'd be captivated and interested in talking to, but uh, but you can take pieces from different experts and different professionals, and uh, and so he he melds that all together and he and he gathers his inspiration from all different types of sources and uh, and personality types, and so that's. You know that's really you know what he does, but I mean on our podcast we talked about you know with Tom Crean how you know Coach Saban and Coach Harbaugh were at a basketball game you know talking over end of game scenarios you know for you know twenty thirty minutes about what you do with you know this situation with this time left on the clock and these many timeouts and play calling and and how you defend and how you how you operate in a four minute offense and. So, you know, always he's got a lot of respect for contemporaries, you know, and so he'll he'll pick the brains of, of some, uh, you know, revered coaches and coaches that he's known along the way. And, um, and you know, the coaches you see come through here, you know, you'll, you'll see Greg Roman, you'll see John Harbaugh, you know, you'll see coaches from when he was in the NFL and they'll be here for, for the pro day and he'll chat with them and he's got different relationships with all of them. So it's, um, it's a never ending quest for him to continue to, to be more knowledgeable and to be more well-informed. You mentioned how, um, there's a constant competition among the players. Um, how does coach Harbaugh, uh, manage the competition among his coaches because we've had some we've had some changeovers we have, we've had some guys leave we know there's some open positions that are going to be filled is there also kind of a, a, a constant needing to prove yourself on the staff um, you know how, how does he manage uh, evaluating performance uh, evaluating taking input over one coach from another because um, there has been um, uh, a development of the staff over the three years, and there continues to be. So, I'm just, how does that work? For example, when he's looking to replace somebody, or or when he's looking to uh, perhaps bring a new coach in, or, or switch responsibilities. It's a really good question, Phil. And uh, to some extent, the obligation of the players to compete is not dissimilar from the obligation for the coaches to compete. And I found myself as a player and also as a member of his staff just striving to to try and earn his his trust and his praise and his you know uh, his confidence really you know and you want to do well for your coach and uh, and that is something that is synonymous between players and good coaches you know they they'll stop at no end you know they'll work tirelessly all in the name of of winning and and success and currying favor with the head football coach so. Um, you know, I think that you see the really good coaches really burning the candle at both ends and investing a lot of time in it, and you can tell it's important to them. And uh, the vast majority of the coaches, you know, conduct themselves that way and their business that way, and and I think it leads to um, to enhanced staff. You know, I think I think the staff gets better, I think the team gets better, the players obviously stand to benefit from it. Um, and and there are you know a lot of layers to you know who's involved with what you know Jay, Jay Harbaugh and Chris Partridge coach special teams together, you know we've got um, multiple people who have input you know in the play calling on offense, um, but that's been the formula as long as I've known it. You know there's been you know, multiple cooks in the kitchen, and uh, they say too many cooks in the kitchen ruins the broth, but it also probably allows you to have every possible ingredient and to to make something really nice. So. You know that's obviously the design and the intent of uh, of the coaching structure as it's laid out. So, um, is there like a postseason review process 
Um, does, does, is there an all-hands-on-deck where you guys review like the performance after the season, or is it ongoing after every game? You know, I think uh, I think you can't really judge a team until you know their their body of work is is fully established. You know, with uh, with the coaches, you can kind of get a sense. You know, two thirds of the way through a season, maybe about what's working, what's not working. You know, and and what time and attention you need to devote. You know, at different junctures. Um, but at the end of the season, you know, there's a you know the the coaching profession is a lot like a carousel right I mean you hop on you hop off and, and there's been a lot of retention here um, relatively speaking but uh, you know I, there there will always be people coming and going and so uh, you know knowing what you have and, and knowing um, you know what to pay somebody or what opportunities are going to be in front of somebody or how you can promote somebody or how they can work with other coaches is is an important inventory to take for your program so um, it's an ongoing process I'd say the end of the season is a little bit more of a definitive evaluation point but I think that um, you know you're you're earning your job and earning your keep every single day and so to some extent there are a lot of micro evaluations that probably end up adding up to a, a, a total macro evaluation. This is the first year in recruiting. We've had the early signing day. Um, is the impression that it's, it's a favorable thing, or does do you think that Coach Harbaugh likes it? I mean, does it take some of the uncertainty out of the process for you guys? Yeah, it's a it's a difficult thing to to get to the first Wednesday in February and have 25 or 30 scholarships and trying to, to guess, you know, okay, who's in, who's out. It's, it's really difficult. So, I mean, now we got 16, 17, 18-ish, you know, in the boat, so to speak. And then now we've got about seven or eight that we're trying to, to pencil in. So, it's uh, it gives you a little bit more clarity, and I mean, I'd have to imagine that you know prior to this year there were programs that would that would fill too many spots and fill not enough spots, and not just by one or two, but by five or six or seven because you just have a distorted perception of where you're at with different players, or you know you feel like you're in really good shape, and then next thing you know you're playing for the national championship, and and your stock's rising in the eyes of Know, local players or, or players nationally. So I think everybody mostly stands to benefit from it. I've seen a couple different strategies where people have just tried to get all their recruits on the first signing day. Um, you know, other programs like Alabama, because they played in, the, or, uh, or Georgia rather, they played in their conference championship. So that cost them a week in recruiting, right? And then they played in the national championship. And so that's affecting their timeline a little bit, even though it's during a dead period. So you know there there are obstacles. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you for having to you know recruit around a, a, a conference championship. I was going to say all Michigan fans would love for you guys to have that problem in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, we we'd love to have it every single year. Um, but you know it's uh, I think that complaining about any any rule change or any modification or anything, I just it's it's not even worth it, right? And we don't really waste our breath on it. Um, you know, regardless of whether they're modifying, you know, swarm tours or what we can do in the summer or, or, or any of that. So it's just uh, you know, we abide by the same rules that everybody else does. And 
generally try and figure out the best way to do things, and, and occasionally that means the NCAA having to uh, to create rules to stop us from doing things the way that we're doing. But we'll still be unrelenting and, and trying to figure out again just uh, how we can optimize the success of our program. Has there being an early signing day uh, affected uh, if you guys are going to have a signing of the Stars event like you have in past years? It has affected it um, just in that um, people know a lot of our recruits and signees and we've rolled out information and videos and pictures and media around them. So, you know, we're really just trying to figure out, you know, the last, like I said, seven or eight people to sign. Uh, And we're hopeful that there'll be some really good recruits uh, I just don't know that for a number of reasons that it makes sense to do it this year. Certainly not in you know with the splendor and extravaganza that it had in years past. Uh, so we'll we'll see kind of what ends up coming together. Coach said that we would do it, and then said that he wasn't sure. You know, in, in one of his press conferences, I think. So um, obviously he's the the man making the decisions that way. Um, but uh, during the first signing day, you know, we made a, a bit of a splash on social media, and I think that was probably the more popular way to go for a lot of schools. So um, I, I trust that we'll end up doing you know, something. Uh, how big and on, on what scale, I don't quite know yet. Do you think that the attention that Coach Harbaugh has brought to the program has inspired uh, a little bit of a backlash among other coaches and other programs and, and things, it seems like there's a little, uh, a little carping after after kind of the tail off of the season. It seems like there's there's people who are mm, uh, taking some shots, I guess, in the media and around the nation. Um, you know, I, I think the fact that that we are a high-profile program lends itself to attack and criticism, regardless of the record. Um, but I think that when people see us continue to be talked about and uh, and featured prominently, whether it's in a New Year's Day bowl game or um, you know being selected for the Outback Bowl over Michigan State for at least in perception over the Holiday Bowl, I think that they're just people naturally will look to find uh, criticisms and to be. Um, critical of, of what we're doing and how we're doing it. And and, um, and there are national pundits that will continue to try and make their living off of, you know, bringing us down. Um, and, and all of that really, you know, doesn't affect us or affect what we're doing. Everything that we do in our program is motivated by doing what's best for us and what's best for our players. And, um, you know, if, if you want to talk about the the bowl game, for example, the Outback Bowl uh, and the process to getting there, we wanted to play on New Year's Day. We wanted to play on ESPN2 instead of Fox Sports 1. And, and the ratings were were uh, much better for, for that bowl game versus the Holiday Bowl. So um, from a coverage standpoint and a uh, viewership standpoint, um, it was a, you know, it would be a better bowl to go to. So we, we pursued it that way, and that wasn't the only reason or motivation. But that's certainly, when you look back in hindsight, it would make sense to, to – Make sure that your program is being seen on a New Year's Day bowl game or at a New Year's Day bowl game, and um, so we're again we're we're just governing our program with whatever's best for our kids, whatever's best for our coaches, and, and whatever's best for uh, you know the Michigan football program is is what we aspire for. Does that criticism impact at all inside the building? Do players talk about it? Do you guys talk about it, or or is it just something that's on the outside? And you know, there, there's a lot of talk of. 
you know, inside the program and outside the program? Yeah. Is it just... Well, give me an ex- a specific example, because so, I feel like I'm talking in generalities, you know. I, well, for you example, think? you talked about um, the perception that Michigan got the Outback Bowl over Michigan State, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of whining in the state, a lot of a whining out here in the in the fan base about how uh, Mich- it wasn't fair to Michigan State. Yeah. But like you said, you Michigan wants to play in the best bowl game you can. Yeah. And you want to have the highest profile. Yeah. And you can only go where you're asked, and you yeah. can only accept where the offers. Um, is there any, uh, I guess, feedback among the recruits or anything of, oh, well, Michigan's getting an unfair advantage or Michigan didn't earn the, the Outback Bowl? Or I guess, does, does the criticism impact the day-to-day at all? No, and there, and there wouldn't have been any real conversation about it, um, you know, if, if – uh, you know, if there hadn't been some some attacking towards our program, right? I mean, we're we're not in the business of describing or explaining what bowl game we went to or why we went there or how we ended up there, right? I mean, it it, it doesn't matter uh, to anybody. Uh, we're just we're gonna go to that bowl game and we're gonna play the game, just just like uh, you know, teams in every single bowl game. That that's where you're going. That's the team you're playing. And to have any conversation about it, I mean, to some extent, it's just like your schedule. You set the games and you're playing in it. So uh, as far as criticism goes, uh, we, are, we mostly just don't even hear it. And then if it does, it, you know, if we do hear it, it, it doesn't affect us. And certainly not in a negative fashion. It's just uh, for better, for worse, I, we just we keep going forward. Now, I know you don't tweet for Coach Harbaugh. Um, my question is, does he ever give you a heads up that he's going to be tweeting something that's going to be particularly noteworthy? Do you have any? Because I know you catch a lot of the, of the, uh, I guess the flag it or you hear about it. Does he ever say, "Hey, I got a good one going out"? Or what do you think? <laughs> you know, generally, I I think I'm there in like a proofreading capacity. You know, not much of a content uh, conversation, and, and sometimes you can tell when uh, when I'm not included because uh, there's. Inconsistent capitalization, maybe, but it's uh, it's uniquely him. So it's uh, it, it's fun, and I like to be included in that. You know, I like being a part of his his social media. Um, you know, and I and I, uh, you know, he just he spans the the spectrum of of tweets. You know, from how to chew sunflower seeds to you know telling men to get prostate exams to you know uh, you know firing up against you know. Jim Rome or Pete Feinbaum, as he said. So it's uh, there. There are all different sorts of things that take place on on his Twitter account specifically, and I know he's got an Instagram that's uh, you know, kind of inconsistently used. Same with a YouTube channel. So uh, you know, it's his social media profile link is is growing, but you know, the Twitter with over two million followers is uh, is unique, and it's uh, he he enjoys it, I think, and so it's uh, it's pretty cool. So we're going to have this inside Michigan football program um, that's going to be coming out. Um, Coach Harwell seems to be a perfect fit for that kind of thing. Do the cameras change him at all? Like when you have when, when people are inside the program, or is he pretty much the same guy day in day out? I, I think he's a little bit more cognizant, maybe of like profanities or you know if, if something like that. You know, he just he tries not to have you know contentious conversations, maybe when you know when the mic's on. But he's 
not going to change the content of what he's doing or the you know how he's conducting himself and coaching the team you know you just can't do that and, and what he's found and he said this is that you know when when the cameras are on people are probably going to work harder they're you know they know everything's being seen and captured and and uh, you know think about it. if the camera were on you would you be playing harder would you be coaching harder I mean probably so I think there's definitely a benefit there and uh, I think I don't think anybody would be surprised to hear that he doesn't really change himself or how he behaves, you know, in front of a camera. He, he says we welcome judgment, and uh, and that's the truth. He seems to be the same guy whenever I see him. Yeah. Um, all right, so a couple fun things. What's the oddest thing that Jim has received in the mail? He's received a lot of odd things, but uh, I would say the oddest thing that he received in the mail... Um, I mean, like a plush doll of himself, like a fat head uh, face of himself, uh, just some awkward things for somebody to receive. Like, imagine, and, and I got one too. Fathead sent me uh, a, they said, Coach Rogan and Coach Harbon. I'm not a coach, but I mean, imagine like a, a, a picture of your face that's about 18 inches tall by 9 inches wide. Uh, I mean, imagine if somebody sent you that, Phil. I mean, you'd be like, what? What the heck am I? You know, I'm not particularly good looking, so I, this is this is especially uh, awkward. But um, yeah, the, the the things that come in the mail, uh, a lot of books, uh, you know, people you know giving advice or suggestions, um, and uh, you know, challenge coins, you know, from different military outfits or, or out, outfits or, or flags. Um, just uh, the variety is uh, is never ending. It seems like there's always something different coming in the mail. Now you mentioned Fathead. Um, you guys use those graphics inside the uh, practice facility during the season. Yeah, we did, and uh, just kind of to reward the you know the players, the big hit of the game, the lineman of the game, the offensive player of the game, defensive special teams players of the game. So uh, you know, and, and kind of cool to to see yourself up there around the the walls of. Oakley Field House and um, and Fathead has been a great partner that way, uh, and happy to support you know local local ish business, and uh, yeah, it was a, a really cool thing for yep. sure. Big machine company, I think they're based in Detroit. Um, so you know what? That's all I have today. Again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Of course, Phil. I, I appreciate you, and uh, look forward to to this podcast and future podcasts and uh and seeing what what uh what content you continue to crank out thank you so much yeah you bet thank you for listening to the umgoblue.com podcast all rights reserved search for umgoblue.com on itunes go blue